it's a hard game to pitch because it's you know it's not normal it's right. not it's not a normal game right yeah. and um well yeah you just go to you go to the publisher and say yeah it's, it's got a, it's, it's kind of mule belter uh <laughs> mashup right uh, it's, in real time it's rts but there's no combat right yeah, so yeah. Uh, next i'm gonna make a shooter without guns <laughs> right right Hi, everybody. This is Soren Johnson, and you're listening to Designer Notes, a podcast about why we make games. Today, Bruce Garrick is interviewing me about Offworld Trading Company, an economic RTS that I've been working on for the last three years. So, Soren, since you've designed a real-time strategy game, um, tell me about the first real-time strategy game you ever played. Well... <laughs> I guess that would probably be StarCraft. Uh, Star- yeah, I don't think the I, original one. Yep. Yeah, I don't think I played any of the Warcraft Two or Dune or or any of those games. I actually played Dune One, which was like this weird adventure game. Mm-hmm. Okay. <laughs> totally unlike the Dune Two, which is you know seen as kind of the beginning of RTS games. Right. Um, but um, but yeah, I played StarCraft and uh, I liked it. I wouldn't necessarily say I like totally fell in love with it. Um, basically, it was like a summer uh, where I was living, in, you know, it was a college job summer where I was living with a bunch of friends, and we had like a basement apartment somewhere, and like the three of us would like team up against the AI, you know, like every night. Um, and uh, like I wasn't particularly good, but I could basically handle the Terrans, and the other guys were like the people who were really good at the game. Um, and uh, you know, I I thought the the um the fact that the game was so alive was was great you know and it was fun to actually play a multiplayer game that that resolved itself quickly right um that was that was sort of a new experience for me so uh i thought that was great um but the rts that really got me was age of kings uh, okay the sage's second age of empires game mm-hmm. um and I mean, first of all, I just, you know, connected with the subject matter a lot better because that was, you know, a historical game. Um, and Is that when you were working on? Uh, no. When when what's what's the timeline regarding your your um, uh, working on Civ? Uh, yes, yeah, so this, this would have been during Civ 3 and shortly after Civ 3. Um, okay. So, yeah, I joined Fraxis in 2000 and I'm guessing Age of Empires 2 ship maybe a year or two before that. Mm-hmm. Um, but it was kind of like the lunchtime game at the office. You know, we when we want to play a shooter we play team fort when we want to play a strategy game we played age of empires um and so we had a good group of you know we would sometimes get you know eight player games going um wow around the office and uh so we had a pretty regular group playing um and uh we almost always would play it in teams um you know free for all and that those type of games is kind of a, mm-hmm. a giant mess um so and you know, I just I loved it. You know, I thought I thought it was a, a fascinating game. I, I love the the different play styles you could have. Um, I was I was very much a raider, um, which meant that like I was all about building cavalry and uh, running down your villagers when you weren't paying attention mm-hmm. um, because oh, you know, so you were a jerk, <laughs> basically. Um, like uh, as I've you know learned. The, in those games, like it's kind of all about economy and um, you could either get really good at 
building up your own economy faster than other people, or you can get really good at, or in my mind, it's a lot easier to get really good at figuring out sneaky ways to wipe out your opponent's economy. And then it doesn't necessarily matter if you're all that good at, you know, building up your economy or not. Mm-hmm. Um, but I also love the teamwork, working together, and, and just like being able to play these games where you have this intense three-minute experience, and then for a good 10 minutes afterwards, everyone can, can kind of talk about like, oh, did you, could you... Did you you know, could you believe what happened here? Or like, yeah, oh, this the debrief is, so is always great. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. Um, yeah. So go ahead. Tell me more about, uh, you know, it seems like you really, really um, uh, clicked with that game, which is a, which has a lot of economics to it. What do you have? Are there other economic games that you uh, that you played? I mean, there, there's a whole genre of them. Is that something that you liked or is it uh, real time strategy um that was more appealing to you. Yeah, no, I've always liked economic games. And I should, before we, we leave Age of Empires, I should kind of go into that. Um, so like, as you mentioned, that is kind of a more of an economic heavy RTS game. Mm-hmm. Uh, in this case, it had four resources, um, which is not very many compared to Offworld, but it's a lot for an RTS. Um, and beyond that, it had a building inside of it, which you could kind of say is the entire game of Offworld, mm-hmm. um, which is the market. Um and a lot of people even forget that this building had this functionality, but you build, you could build a market in Age of Empires and click on it. And then at any time in the game, you could buy or sell the basically three of the resources for gold, which is the right. fourth resource. Mm-hmm. Um, and the cool thing about that was that the prices would go up and down dynamically according to what everyone on the map was doing. Right. So if someone right. was out there buying up a bunch of wood, the price would go up. Let's say you have a bunch of wood. You look at the market. You're like, "Wow, the price of wood is great. I'm just, I'm gonna take advantage of that. I'm gonna sell." And uh, you know, if you played Offworld, that sounds pretty familiar. I mean, that's yeah, that's basically Offworld, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, I also remember we had this game. So, in Age of Empires was was uh, a game that lets you write map scripts mm-hmm. to determine how the random map was created. And okay. um, one of our programmers, Mike Breakrights, um, who worked on Civ Three. Uh, he wrote a script for Age of Empires that like kind of like flipped around a lot of the basic assumptions of the map generator. So like basically in the typical Age of Empires map, you'll see tons of forests and like whereas stone and gold are pretty rare. Right. Mm-hmm. So that kind of like is the basis for the economy. Right. Uh, which right. is that if something requires wood, well, it's just no big deal because you have more wood than you can ever use. Mm-hmm. Whereas uh, the stone and gold, you're going to chew through those. So that's more, 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 more valuable. Mm-hmm. So on his map, it was like there was just little trees here and there throughout the hmm. map. And there was just as much stone and gold as you wanted, just strewn about everywhere. Right. And so we played that map and then suddenly it was just like, it was a crazy game because like all of our assumptions were invalid about the balance right. of the game. Like we had to completely right. reevaluate how we were playing. And, um, I, I don't remember, I don't remember how I did, but I know that like the player who won, basically they won the game strategically as opposed to tactically. Right. Mm-hmm. Like they, they, they sort of figured out at a high level, like, okay, now, um, wood is rare. That means no one's gonna be able to build spearmen. Spearmen are the counters to knights. So that means I should build knights because no one's gonna be able to be, no one's gonna be able to afford the counter unit, so on and so forth. Right. Interesting. Um, and so that, I think those two elements are really important for off world because yeah. it's that concept of, you know, that, that market. And then mm-hmm. also the fact that like, okay, if every map is very different, um, and not just the map now, but also like random prices and the random black market, and the different colony types, it means that you're going to um, you're going to have to approach each game very very differently. Mm-hmm. So that's the um, 
that's the economic part of, of Age of Kings. So what, what other economic games are out there that, that you kind of, uh, that, that resonated with you? Yeah, so another really big one would be uh, Railroad Tycoon. Okay. Um, I played a lot of that when I was, um, uh, I guess it came out in the late 80s. Um, and, you know, I, I really love that game. I loved optimizing the, the trade routes. Um, uh, trade routes, I guess, whatever, the train routes. Uh, train routes, yeah. yeah. You know, you pick up, what is it? You pick up your your wood and then you bring it to the lumber mill and then it turns into some sort of finished product. And, uh, you know, it was all kind of trying to figure out what's the best way to arrange your tracks to get the, you know, the raw materials, turn them into finished goods to get them to a city um while at the same time not you know not having too many more trains than you needed mm-hmm. um all that stuff is was, was really really cool and although you know ironically i think looking back even though that was an important game for the beginning of offworld i think actually a lot of those ideas actually fell by the wayside as we continue to develop offworld because i originally envisioned it much more as a game about basically setting up limp routes you know, from like where you get your resources, you know, you, you got your iron over here and then you fly it over here, you make your steel, then you take the steel and you bring it to the colony. Like, right. That's how I really originally envisioned the game. Um, but uh, I think we found that um, in, a, in a competitive real time game, mm-hmm. like that was not really where you wanted to spend your time right. thinking about. Like that's, that really fits a single player experience where it's, mm-hmm. it's, it's more not the single player is the right. It's more long form, right? Where mm-hmm. if you're playing a game where you know you're committing to it for a few hours, then making these big, you're when, when you where you're, that's where you want to optimize logistics, right? Okay. Like if if you're if you're deciding up front, and this was like kind of one of our constraints is okay, we'd like to make a game that you know might be able to play you know might be playable in like thirty minutes. Um, if you make that your constraint, then you have to be very careful about like, okay, you don't have much time. Where, what do you want the users to do with that 30 minutes? Right. Right. And yeah. It's a completely different thing. Yeah. Which, which I was shocking to me when I read your designer notes that said, uh, oh, you know, we had this very traditional sort of, uh, yeah, you have a scout and you drive it around yep. and you look where the resources are and then you, you know, have these engineers and they build buildings. I mean, it really, it seemed like it was, um, uh, you know command and conquer except for with uh with mining oh yeah yeah i mean our our initial model like very much kind of like flowed from like like, to me for me since it was my most common game or most familiar game was age of empires where like even like you'd hit you'd hit like period and it would jump to your you know jump to any like idle engineers who weren't building a building right Mm -hmm. like that was that was kind of like the most common way to like control stuff it's like okay i need to build something so i hit period where's my nearest guy um and like when you were building buildings you'd be juggling this concept of like okay okay i've got two engineers i want to build something here but oh this guy's way on that side of the map and this guy's over here maybe i should build a third engineer to like you know right it was just a whole nother yeah that that type of gameplay is fine i guess but it was just a whole nother thing yeah it's the traditional traditional kind of rts so um so you're talking about 30 minute games and and sort of economic games so that's uh i mean that's mule right there right? yeah (laughs) yeah that's mule it Interestingly enough, I mean, Mule comes up a lot for Offworld, um, mm-hmm. but I didn't actually really, I didn't play Mule when I was a kid. Um, you did not? No, I didn't. I okay. was, I was just, I was just too young. Uh, mm-hmm. I was, I think I was seven when it came out. Okay. Um, and uh, I played a lot of Seven Seas of Gold. Um, mm-hmm. you know, oh yeah, also, great was, game. Yeah. yeah, which was also a button, button game. Um, but that was single player. It came out a couple of years later. Um, mm-hmm. 
And so that was kind of easier for a kid to kind of get into, right? Right. Um, whereas if you've got Mule, you don't necessarily have someone to play it with. Like, what you know, you're kind of missing out on what makes it such a great game. Um, but uh, many years later, um, you know, my the art director, my art director and business partner, Dory Newcomb, he, you know, once once he knew I was going to wanting to make this type of a game, he brought his uh, Commodore uh, Commodore 128 in, and we sat mm-hmm. down, and I mm-hmm. played Mule, and uh, yeah, I think I mean Mule's amazing. Um, and, yeah, sure is. And I, I definitely the I definitely think the the claim system kind of came directly from Mule for sure. Um, just the concept of like you have some limitation on how you're going to um, develop the the map, right? Um, and uh, and certainly also just kind of the idea of like the adjacency bonuses and like you know you there is some value for for uh, specialization uh, that was really important as well. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, I think our auctions function very very differently, but just kind of like the general idea of having auctions at all. Um, that's kind of where our why we we put them in the game. Um, so so yeah, that was important. And I guess I should also bring up uh, Belter, which is yes, a, I was going to ask you about that if you didn't say anything. Yeah, <laughs> because that's certainly the most obscure game on the list. Um, and uh, so that's a game I played like back when I was you know probably like in middle school uh, with some of my uh, friends. We're in the town I grew up, and um, it's a funny game because it's um, it has a whole uh military half of it but um we really just enjoyed the like economic half of it and uh, we played a lot of games but i don't think i'm not sure if we ever really actually like you know we started building once you get more resources you you know you actually you can start getting lasers and more powerful Mm -hmm. ships but i don't don't think we ever really actually started attacking each other because it just seemed like not what we were interested in doing um and uh so for for that game um you know, you would go out and you prospect asteroids. And one of the neat, neat things about that game that, like, we couldn't really pull off in Offworld was this idea that you, whoever got the asteroid first would, like, roll a dice to find out what was on it, and then they yeah. would write it down. And yeah. then that was, like, the truth now. So if someone else came to prospect it, you'd have to basically show them what your result right. was. Right. Um, it's and, a cool mechanic. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And, um, and I think definitely the idea of, like, kind of like the... I think they even I think that game literally had trace resources, but I think I, tr- I don't remember how many different levels there were, but like the idea of different levels of resources that definitely came mm-hmm. uh, right from Belter yeah. um, and Belter only had two resources. And but it was that same basic concept of like you get the resource, you ship it back to a market, you sell it. And every time you sell it, the price goes down. Um, so, you know, that was definitely a big part of the mix, too. Yeah. So, I mean, this is these are all all sort of sounds like uh, pretty formative experiences for you but um but you were working at obviously at Foraxis and working on uh, on Civ so at, at what point did you decide that you wanted to sort of pursue this as a as a as a game that you would do well um it's a hard game to pitch because it's you know it's not normal it's right. not it's not a normal game right yeah. and um well yeah you just go to you go to the publisher and say yeah it's, it's got a, it's, it's kind of mule belter uh <laughs> mashup right uh, in real time it's rts but there's no combat right, right. Yeah, so yeah. Uh, next i'm gonna make a shooter without guns right? <laughs> right right so um and yeah so it was hard to know how to get the game made and i actually think that 
back when I was at Fraxis, there was basically no way to get a game like this made. Mm-hmm. And that's because there was no digital distribution yet. Right. right? And like at from a very high level, all really distri- dig- digital distribution means is that, you know, a game that sold 200, 250,000 units is now viable where it was not before. Right. I see. Okay. Because, you know, now you're keeping 70% of the revenue, whereas before you were maybe lucky to keep 30%. Right? Okay. When mm-hmm. you're when you're talking about all the different middlemen you have to go through to get the game into the hands of customers. Right. Um, so if you're keeping twice as much revenue, well, now you basically have to sell half as many games. Mm-hmm. Right. Right. Which right. mean which is why now we can have games meet all these different niches and do all these different weird things. There was basically no way to do that 10 years ago. Um, so. Yeah, it was I, I had this weird idea for, a you know, economic RTS. And I didn't really know what to do with it. And um, I had kind of I had kind of part of the reason I joined EA is I had kind of kind of these weird ideas that like maybe if things worked out well, I could kind of do it under like the mule brand. Mm-hmm. Um, that was like one idea that like. Wow, of, mule too. <laughs> yeah, um, that was like kind of like one weird idea I had. Um, and uh, and that. I, you know, so I joined EA. I, I, I sort of saw Spore was just kind of like this, kind of like seemed like an interesting project would be fine to work on for a year or so. Um, and uh, but unfortunately, like right when Spore finished, like that was like the basically the economic crisis. Mm-hmm. Um, and you don't really necessarily think of that affecting video games, but it, it like affected everyone, right? Right, right of course. Um, and so EA had to like let a lot of people go. And but from my point of view, it, they it had to get a lot more conservative with projects. Yeah. Um, so like something like that wasn't, wasn't necessarily really possible. Um, and really what, what made, I mean, just what made Offworld happen was getting to know Brad, uh, Brad Bordell of Stardock. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we kind of got to know each other after, uh, maybe before Civ 4 shipped, certainly after Civ 4 shipped. Um, and I gave him some feedback on Galactic Civs 2, Galactic Civ, galactic civilization 2 yeah um, we got to be friends and you know he would you know from time to time say hey you know I, you, you know it'd be fun to work together at some point and then so um after uh, you know i after the the zinga east studio got closed down mm-hmm. um and i was only there for maybe like 15 months okay. uh, that's a whole nother kind of bizarre story but all right uh, <laughs> that's another interview <laughs> right but um once that finished, you know, I was like, well, Brad's been talking about this for a while. So, like, I'm, you know, I'll call him up and I'll tell him about this weird game I want to do. And, you know, Brad just immediately was like, yeah, that sounds amazing. You know, like, let's let's do it. Um, and, uh, you know, I'm very fortunate he felt that way because, you know, I had I had talked to other publishers over time about this general concept. And, yeah, mm-hmm. it wasn't it just wasn't something that really people grasped or understood. Um right. And uh, he was really to, he was ready to go with it. And, um, you know, I knew some good people to work with here in the area, you know, because, you know, there are mm-hmm. there aren't too many uh, game developer studios in Baltimore. But the ones that are are here are basically mm-hmm. all people who have experience with strategy games. So, OK, it's 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 this is a great place to make strategy Just games, strategy game mecca. Yeah, basically. So so how long did it take you to put things together and, and sort of launch the, the, the Mohawk games? Yeah. So, um this all started in summer of 2013 okay. um, was when I was having my discussions with Brad. Um, 
and um so um so that takes a, it takes a while to start a company. It takes a while to start a company and negotiate a contract, get everything right. Um, but fortunately, at that point, it was just it was just me. Um, I kind of knew some people I wanted to work with, but they were all kind of like doing something on their own, and they mm-hmm. were you know ready to wait for me. Um, and so then I finally got I finally got things figured out, and um, things figured out with Brad. And this probably would have been around maybe. Uh, july august of 2013 got a contract signed then started you know i just started prototyping the game um and uh my first my first prototype was literally just uh was literally just like in OpenGL using uh i I kind of took the there's an example pro program that comes with uh steamworks um it's basically space war uh do Mm -hmm. you know what that is Oh, yeah. Yeah. So um, it's like basically a redo of Space War that uses their multiplayer system. And I knew the game wanted to be multiplayer. So I just Mm -hmm. said, okay, I'm going to take this. I'm going to take this little demo here. I'm going to, you know, use OpenGL and I'm just going to start putting little things on on the screen, you know, Mm -hmm. figure out how to to put tiles down, have ships move around, get the market going, get some Mm -hmm. basic buttons. Um, And, you know, in, in a little bit of time, I had a little bit of a prototype. Um, And I just wanted to proved to myself that you know it could work um and uh and then like once i felt like you know i we could move forward with with things uh that's when we started hiring people got it um and uh after some time trying to think about what what engine to, to use we decided on uh, unity uh this probably would have been around february of uh 2014 um and that's when you could say like the official off-world project really started at that point um, that's when we kind of, kind of began the, you know, submission one for the current, right. you know, the current project and just built it, built it from there. So is that when, uh, I remember you had tweeted out a picture of your new office, which was basically like a, a card table and <laughs> yeah. I think there were two laptops facing each other. Uh, what, yeah. what was, that was, that was around that time. Yeah. I think that was in fall, fall before that. Um, okay. we were, uh, we were, there's three, basically three companies here in Baltimore that kind of are co-located. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's Oxide, which is the company that made Ashes of the Singularity. Yep. Um, and then there's also a Stardock team here that's working on the new Star Control. Mm-hmm. Um, then there's us. So yeah, we we found a we found an office space, and that was like right that was moving in day uh, mm-hmm. where I where I set up that card table. Wow, exciting! And then you just said, "Hey, here's this uh, here's the Space War prototype. Uh, we're going to make this game." Um, yep. And 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 play it. Um, so I was fascinated. Um, by the, I mean, you, you talked about how the the game that you had designed was not the game that uh, that you obviously published, or the the game that you you sort of were first thinking about in your designer notes. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I'm sure that even when you got to the point where um, where you were changing things around, uh, I, I want to hear about how how that how things shifted because it sounds like you were you were kind of pruning things out. Talk a little bit about about that whole process. There's a, I, I want to I'll, I'll introduce a little thing that I thought was uh, funny. I was listening to a um, a podcast called Guns Dice and Butter, which is a war game podcast, mm-hmm. and it talked. This guy was making a game called Polis, and he said that he designed the game basically by making this really really detailed game about the Peloponnesian War, and then just taking everything out. Like he just was like, okay, we're going to take out ninety percent of this game and leave like the ten percent that actually I want. Right. Um, and you had this process where you made sort of this RTS, uh, this sort of traditional RTS, and then you're like, well, 
okay, we don't want these units on the map. And then so the only unit's going to be the scout. But then that's going to be weird if we have a scout and we have no other units and people are going to, you know, talk about that process of, of just kind of going completely from one end to the other of the RTS scale. Yeah. Um, I mean, I think what's interesting about it is we didn't necessarily know this was the path we were going down, right? Um, in that it started as more of a traditional RTS, um, but then, um, you know, kind of like, we just kind of kept seeing things that we could take out and the game wouldn't be worse for it. Mm -hmm. So like originally, you know, you were, you were creating all your blimp routes. Uh, I think they're called freighters now, but I, I always think of them as blimps. Um, okay. You know, the, the units that carry your resources from one place uh -huh. to another. Right. Mm -hmm. So you'd place down your buildings and then you'd say, okay, I want a blimp to start here, go from this, you know, go from this water pump to this farm. And then it picks up the food and takes to this colony. Mm -hmm. um, like that's how it goes. And then at some point, someone had the idea of like couldn't that couldn't this just be automated like you put down a building and then just magically every time it fills up a blimp appears and just brings it to like brings it to the your colony um and like a little bit got lost there and they're like well now i can't do this kind of interesting thing of like okay i'm gonna have this blimp go to the farm instead of the colony um but on the other hand, as we were seeing people playing, what we saw was basically people were, were putting their farms either right next to their, their pumps or right next to the colony. Mm -hmm. um, and I'm getting my, sorry, I, I, for people who just see the current version, what we call the HQ now used to be the colony. So, like, it's it kind of gets mixed up. It the used HQ, to be, your HQ. Yeah, your HQ. It used to be everyone had a colony and there was no neutral colony. Mm -hmm. um, so I get my terms mixed up sometimes when I'm talking okay. about the older version of the game. Got it. But basically, you know, you'd, you'd have your HQ and you'd have your water pumps. And, like, why would you put your farms just randomly in the middle of nowhere, right? You'd either put mm -hmm. them next to your water or you put them next to your HQ, right? Mm -hmm. So right. it's like... We lost a, bit, a little bit of theoretical gameplay, but it didn't seem like the game changed all that much. Um, but it was certainly it was a whole lot simpler, right? Mm -hmm. Like now you no longer have to do all that clicking every time you you know you put right. down a building. Um, and so then it was just kind of step by step, right? Like so we had the engineers you had to drive around mm -hmm. and and plant things, and then it was like, well, what happens if you just what would happen if just you when you want to build a building, you just clicked where you want to build it. And there was an, an engineer automatically popped out of your HQ and went there mm -hmm. and built it and then disappeared. And would that be okay? And it was okay. Mm -hmm. Right. And, right. And then there, there were pirates and police ships that you, that were like very mm -hmm. much traditional RTS. You'd, right. you know, you'd group select them and you could hit your hotkeys to have group one and group two and group three. And they would, they would fly around. It was kind of interesting and different because they weren't generic military units, right? Like the police, the police would attack pirates and the pirates would attack police, but they like pirates wouldn't attack other pirates and police wouldn't attack other police. And mm -hmm. you couldn't tell who owned which pirates. They didn't have team color. And um, oh, wow. there was a lot of kind of, in, there was kind of some interesting stuff going on there. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, you would take your pirate, you would sit on people's uh, blimp routes um, and, um, you know, steal their stuff or you would go blow up their buildings. And mm -hmm. sometimes like, that like that would define a game like a mm -hmm. games would all be about combat and sometimes like people wouldn't get into pirates at all and it would mm -hmm. just not be a big deal and like that part was really great um in the sense that like you had all this very vari variability but it sure was it sure was a big aspect of the game and like this is what you were spending your time doing right mm -hmm. and you know it was a similar type of thing where we we're like well what if 
what if the pirates were just kind of like a fire and forget thing where you want the pirates and you just kind of like put them on a blimp, you just clicked on a blimp route and it just stayed mm-hmm. there and it stole X number of resources and then left, right? Like, right. Like at the same level, that's, you're basically doing the same thing, right? Like it's having the same effect on the game in that, right. okay, you have blimp routes and blimp routes can be vulnerable and resources right. have different values. So you want to make sure you steal from the right blimp route. Um, Whereas, you know, in the old version, it's like, okay, you build a pirates, you put them on the route, then the other guy has to build police ships, and then he tries to knock down your right. your pirates, and you have to keep, you know, like, you can be really annoying as a pirate, like, they, you know, you hit the blimp route, and then they come to get you, but by the time you get there, by the time they get their police ships there, you've moved to a different route, and like, oh, ha, 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 right? Like, that's, right. that's there, but like, is that really what our game's about, right? Right. Well, yeah, I mean, it's a different, it's, I mean, it's the same game effect, but it's a different sort of narrative concept, right? Yeah. If you're thinking about, you, if there's a tangible nature to the, you know, the police, you have a conflict b- between police and pirates, but, uh, um, yeah, but it, the actual, the actual outcome is, is the same. Yeah. And it gives it a different priority in like how it fits into the game, right? Right. Like pirates right. and off world, like they're this kind of interesting thing, right? But they're not, they can't define the game, right? Right. Um, and like we, and we basically split pirates in two. Like the other thing mm-hmm. they could do was destroy buildings, and that's basically mm. where that's where dynamite comes from. Right. So, like we basically turned turned the whole pirate police game into just two black market items. And right. Yeah. The the black market becomes the sort of it's, there's the conflict in the black market, and yep. you just make the make the pirates part of it. Yeah. Yeah. So that was that was that was really that that worked really well. And then the last thing was like exploration. So mm-hmm. at one point we had all these things automated except for exploration. We still had you driving this unit around. And I think mm-hmm. I think we still could have actually made the game that way. It just it just felt so weird that like these are the only units you controlled, you know? Right. Um it it made teaching the game stranger. Um and so I tried a hands-off approach where like you put down flags like you see in like Majesty. Mm-hmm. Um so like they like they they try to like prioritize your locations but there's always just this thing that's it it works okay in majesty but i i don't i'm not sure that's like a great path in general because you want your units to do exactly what you tell them to do basically right right Um, well if that's the if that's the goal of your game right in majesty you sort of have this organic sort of world that's that the the units are playing in right and you're creating it for them but that's not what you're doing in your game yeah that's true like the 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 units have sort of their own agency in Majesty, right? Right. So, right. Which it, is an important part of the narrative. Yeah, and and your units in Offworld are, are no, they're not supposed to have agency. Exactly. So, it's a good point. That could be why it didn't it didn't really work. Mm-hmm. Um, but um, yeah. So, so yeah. So we tried the the flag system, and then eventually was like, well, let's just get rid of them. Let's just try scanning, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Um, right. And again, that was just a high level action that replaced entirely. And, it, you know, I, my worry was like, well, this feels weird. It's like, what if Civ was like this, where like you just kept clicking and magically stuff revealed. But, you know, right. what? it's fine. It's sci fi. It's real mm-hmm. time. It, sure. It worked perfectly fine. The, the, the ironic part to me is like once we went out in early access, even that was like not necessarily the right choice. Um, right because, well, because of competitive com- for competitive reasons yeah, right exactly the competitive players want the reveal map mode and i kind of wonder like if it was possible that like the entire process of, of exploration if i could have just done away with that like we mm-hmm. probably could have done off world with reveal map being the default from the beginning it's mm-hmm. just like it's such like how do you make that leap from starting with a traditional rts where you you start with a couple units and an entire right. map of black um you know, as opposed to, a, you know, a uh, 
as opposed to this game where like it's more like a board game like it's like more like right. Catan where you flip over all of the the cards and the, all right. of the, the hexes and then you mm -hmm. decide where you want to go right, right? like that's kind of where competitive off-world ended up um so yeah <laughs> yeah well i mean it's a different it's i mean this this whole idea of a map that you reveal mm -hmm. uh is a i mean that I, I don't know where that why that that became such a such a key element of of rts but it's i mean it's almost it's almost part of the definition of rts yeah. right is that that you have a fog of war and that you 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 slowly reveal yeah. the map but there's no real reason for it and, and you had a you had a great discussion of how um either way is is problematic for multiplayer or competitive multiplayer anyway where um you're either lucking into the the perfect founding spot mm -hmm. or if you show everybody all the founding spots uh then the person who clicks the fastest on the best one wins yep so you have to balance those two things it's it's a really interesting tension yeah um which which you guys solved in a in a very board gamey way which is you know if you take an action then the other person had there's a there's a balancing mechanism for the other person yep right yeah um yeah and so for people who are listening who haven't played haven't played off world yet the 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 when you do reveal map you obviously just can't reveal the map because like bruce says just whoever sees the best spot would just found there and that'd be mm -hmm. it so we have this we have this kind of reverse auction you know where the game it, the number starts at like two hundred thousand dollars where if you found right at the beginning you'll take on two hundred thousand dollars of debt mm -hmm. um and then it just slowly ticks down um until it gets to basically the number that one of the players thinks it's worthwhile to get the what they consider the best spot on the map um and uh, it can be interesting because sometimes like you're playing a two-player game the map opens and you see two good spots like oh there's two good spots on this map in that case what you'll see good players do is they'll just they, they just they just won't found right they'll let right. The, the, the the timer go all the way down to zero and mm -hmm. then it actually starts ticking up again mm -hmm. like at that point you actually get a a, a founding bonus for founding mm -hmm. first so right. you'll, you'll get like 200 300 400 500 dollars for founding first because mm -hmm. um because yeah we have those other things you mentioned which is whoever founds last gets an extra claim yeah. um and access to the black market earlier right um but yeah i mean it's um i don't know if we necessarily needed to have um scanning in there at all i do think that there for a lot of the players especially ones who are more single player focused i think uh, thematically scanning really works for them you know yep. it, they feel like they're okay this is you know this is kind of like civ this is kind of like a real-time game like mm -hmm. you know it it having that black map which you're rolling back it's just it's just one of those like you know it's just one of those greatest hits of gaming you know yeah right 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 <laughs> just it just works well and it's yeah. so hard to do in a board game right mm -hmm. so it's it's also just kind of like taking advantage of uh uh taking advantage of uh of what of what uh digital you know, games do well yeah, yeah exactly absolutely yeah so um but well you're talking about all these things you know about how you know, you have to do all this balancing because, you know, everything is, all these considerations in multiplayer. I mean, was multiplayer really a, a big concern for you from the beginning or did the game sort of develop to this in a direction where you realized that there was going to be, I mean, it's from from talking to you about the how you would sit and have these games at lunch. It sounds like that's something that you were you were going for. Am I correct? Oh, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And it's, it's not that we saw off-world is primarily a multiplayer game because uh if you look at the stats you know the majority of players play it as a single player game um and we we know that and that's why we put so much effort into things like the campaign right. um but um when you're starting a project 
if it's going to be multiplayer, it's it's always well, I want to say always, but like very often it's a good idea to make it work as a multiplayer game immediately. Mm-hmm. Uh, first of all, that's just smart from a technical point of view because you're not going to end up writing code that you have to rewrite to make work for multiplayer later because it's a lot easier to make a multiplayer a game that's like technically multiplayer work in single player, mm-hmm. right? I mean, obviously you just kind of like don't have the other humans, right? Where the right. other way around is a lot harder technically. Um, and uh, But most importantly from a game design point of view is you can have really fast iteration if you have a game that works multiplayer because you know as soon as i had stuff moving around on the screen we could start playing the game right got it yeah and if you have real humans in the loop like you can get real feedback right away on is this game fun or not right whereas mm-hmm. oftentimes with strategy games if you're if you're making something that's primarily single player and the ai really isn't there mm-hmm. you're kind of like even when you're play testing you still have to be kind of like imagining the game that's still not really there right right without the ai it's it's only really half a game so since we knew we wanted to be multiplayer we just that was our focus from the very beginning we we also actually that's how we made civ 4 um Hmm. it was actually a multiplayer game at the beginning single player came in uh much later um it was something that made uh the executives a little nervous (laughs) (laughs) but it it worked out pretty well it clearly worked well yeah for that same reason basically Yeah. yeah so so what I mean, so you sit down, you make this, you start making this game. Um, what were the, what were the, what were the real problem? I guess what, what was your, what was your uh, sort of history of pain points, and um, what, where, where did you kind of get lowest? Um, I think the hardest part, um, and I think this is probably very true of board games too, mm-hmm. is. Um, the hardest part is figuring out how to end it, right? Hmm. Like, okay. um, this is, there's definitely a lot of board games I've played where it's like the actual experience of playing the game is, is fun, mm-hmm. but then like having to, 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 having to come up with some discrete ending where like, okay. And also you're the, you're the winner and you're the loser. Mm-hmm. Like it somehow kind of can often ruin the actual experience where mm-hmm. you're like, yeah, mm-hmm. we were, we were having fun here. Like, why did we have to like. <laughs> suddenly right. it, because then it kind of warps the way you play the game at the end yep. right oh, yeah. um and it can also mean like the game the game ends sooner than you want it to or it mm-hmm. goes longer than you want it to um right, right and certainly in civ games like oh man like uh trying to get victory conditions to to work well has always been you know kind of like i kind of you know we kind of wish people would be able to just kind of enjoy the ride of civ more than worry about whether they're going to win or lose mm-hmm. um and it's interesting to see the success of the paradox games because that's what they basically do i mean I, as far as i can tell most people really don't worry about whether they win or lose those games sure um they have just kind of they have this kind of like weird arbitrary thing for yeah what's it called is it called honor or i forget what it's called in crusader kings but it's mm. you know they, they just they literally just have a score and mm-hmm if you have just an arbitrary score, arbitrary score, it's kind of like inviting the player to ignore it if they want to. Right. Right. Um, so I think most people just experience those games and don't worry about it. Um, but with off world, you know, we're making a competitive RTS, right? So absolutely. We, we got to have a winner. We got to have a loser. Um, and man, like our stock system went through so many different iterations. Right. I remember. Yeah. I remember when I played it, uh, early on and then I came back and it was, everything was different. I was like, wait, I, how can I can sell stock now? Oh, that's interesting. Right. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Um, how, how, 
Yeah, I remember we, I think we had sell, we, I put sell, I think sell, sell stock in, sell stock was in earlier and I took it out because I kind of felt like it didn't necessarily make the game better. And then I mm-hmm. think, I think it was actually just after I talked to you guys originally that I kind mm-hmm. of put it back in because, yeah. you know, you guys kept bringing it up and I was like, oh, this is, everyone is going to bring this up. I'm just. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it, it's just, it's the stock that you can't sell. It sounds like some kind of uh, yeah. terrible financial product. <laughs> Yeah, uh, but um, so I mean, is, is is there a point in when you were when you were in the development where you thought, oh gosh, I, we don't really know how to get past this part, or if there's a there was a real sort of nadir? Yeah, I mean, I I I would say that like I I kind of thought at one point that the stock system was just like, well, this is as good as as it's ever going to get, mm-hmm. and I think the rest of the game is a lot of fun. Mm-hmm. It'll be okay. Right. Okay. Yeah. All right. <laughs> I think that's kind of for a long time. That's the way of you. And so for a long time, the stock system was just this thing where um, you basically you bought up shares of stock that were open, that were available. But once all the stock was 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 available, mm-hmm. you'd have to buy out all the shares you don't own to take someone over. Okay. Right? Whether it was owned by a third party or by the person you're taking over, it didn't matter. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you had to pay double for them. And then when right. you and then. When you took them over, you got all their stuff. Right? right. Yeah. Now both parts of those, both parts of that are problematic. Right. Mm-hmm. The fact that you have to pay double for everyone, everything that you don't own, mm-hmm. um, is well It's realistic. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> the problematic part is basically that there's just one winner. Right. Right, um, right, right, and right. The fact that there's one winner, the issue with that is well, like a three player game is like just a terrible idea under that yep. system, right? Because, yep. you know, you got A, B, and C. C is not doing well. A and B are fighting over C. It's it's almost impossible to create a system like that where it's winner take all, where if A buys C, then A isn't just kind of like the obvious winner at that point, right? Right, right. Uh, and in fact, if I, if I arranged it so that there was pluses and minuses so that like, well, maybe sometimes B wins, even if A buys C, mm-hmm. and at that point, you've actually kind of screwed up the rest of the game. Right. right. Because mm-hmm. buying someone else out is like the ultimate thing to do in the game. Like it right. should be this great, awesome thing. Right. Mm-hmm. And you don't want to disincentivize it. So. Right. Uh, yeah. So that was problematic. The other problematic part. Um, and some people were OK with this. But, you know, um, especially the people on my team kept bringing this up over and over again that they weren't happy with it, which was that when you got someone's stuff, it's like you didn't know what to do with it. Right. You got all these buildings that you didn't place and you didn't know where they were getting their water from and where they were getting their their steel from. And mm-hmm. like, did they have enough power? Who knows? It's just like suddenly yeah. everything you had doubled in size. And it was just is it, it was very disconcerting, you know, like people found it or disorienting. Yeah. Uh, it's probably the it's a big word. cognitive demand you place on the player. Yeah. To, to sort of assimilate a position yeah. just all at once and then still be fighting somebody else. Yeah. And generally it was, you know. You're ma- you'd be making more money. It's just like you didn't understand it, right? So at that point, you're just right. kind of like, I want to get this game over with as soon as possible. And, yeah. Right. And like in an eight-player game, it was just literally insane, right? Mm-hmm. Like mm-hmm. You know, at mm-hmm. some point, you'd have four or five, maybe six people's stuff. Um, yeah. So that wasn't that wasn't super awesome. Mm-hmm. Um, and is through a kind of meandering path, we tried a lot of things. We tried a system where when you bought someone out, all their stuff just literally got disappeared. Like mm-hmm. like they just all got blown up. Mm-hmm. Um, they, uh, we tried another system where like, I think you got their claims. I think you got their headquarters and you got a bunch of claims and you got first dibs on their old territory, stuff like that. Um, that was another thing we tried. Um, 
I think what solved it was I was actually trying to solve that first problem of winner take all. Um, and I solved that with the, or I partially solved it. Well, actually, that's not true either. I wasn't trying to solve that problem. I was trying to solve the, what I call would call the walking dead problem, which mm -hmm. is that there were times in games where there's just one player doing very, very poorly, mm -hmm. right? So mm -hmm. let's say they're, they're not doing well. And let's say they get half of their stock bought up by player A and the other mm -hmm. half bought by player B. Right. Um, the problem is they're still in the game, right? Like yeah, sure. there's almost no way they can win. They don't mm -hmm. own like any of their own stock. Mm -hmm. um, and the only reason they're still alive is that their ownership is split between these two companies, mm -hmm. right? Um, so those two companies are at war for you, but you're still in the game. And since this is a free-for-all, like it's, you basically you are going to become a kingmaker, right yeah like right. you can just kind of like arbitrarily do random stuff to mess up mm -hmm. the game mm -hmm. and that's very bad that's a common problem in the board gaming world and like yes. we were definitely experiencing that so mm -hmm. um so what i put in was a majority buyout a, a special majority buyout option which then eventually once it worked out it became the default which mm -hmm. is that if at any point uh, multiple people own six shares of you mm -hmm. um if you know, if other corporations own six shares of you, which is a majority, you have 10 total. So mm -hmm. if other people own a majority of you at that point, you are eliminated from the game. Um, and also you are, and of, of course, then the, the issue was, well, what happens to you if you're, you know, who, who gets control of you? Right. And I, I remember the moment it popped into my head mm -hmm. of like, I've got an AI now. I could just cripple the AI and put that in control of the corporation. Mm -hmm. And as soon as I thought that, I was like, I was like, yes, that 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 will do. Although I, at the time, this was just a problem. This was just a solution to this one Walking Dead problem. I didn't mm -hmm. at the time think of this as being the way the entire game would eventually work. Uh huh. Um, like I still conceived of like, okay, when you get into this majority buyout. You then become a subsidiary. You're out of the game. The AI takes over. It runs your corporation just to make money. Mm -hmm. um, but then eventually later on, other people will do a full buyout of that subsidiary and, you know, they'll take over your headquarters and all your stuff, just like mm -hmm. the regular game. Right. Mm -hmm. Because I didn't I didn't see I didn't see the final solution at this point. Right. Right. But I did this majority buyout and then I had this subsidiary system mm -hmm. and um and then, you know, people were still not happy with the stock system. It was still mm -hmm. causing problems. Um, and I think it's hard at this point to remember the exact order of how everything went. But um, at some point, I'm really trying to think about this now. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I, I mean, just to cut to the chase, at some point we figured out that um, the system would work a lot better if everyone was a subsidiary. Like that mm -hmm. was just the way it was. You no longer had full buyouts. Like you no longer took over, over, over people's stuff that mm -hmm. when someone is bought out, whether it's by majority buyout or the traditional way, they just become a subsidiary and yeah. that solved both problems because, um, you didn't have to, you didn't have to manage a whole bunch of stuff you didn't understand. Right. But most importantly, um, whether it's through a majority buyout or a, a, a regular buyout, there could be split ownership now. Mm -hmm. Like by allowing the AI to run the subsidiary, you didn't have to have only one player control all of that stuff. Right. Because that's the ultimate reason why the original sort of system worked the way it did is, well, who's going to run all your buildings, right? Right. Uh, 
And it's interesting because, you know, I say that you should start a game as a multiplayer game from the very beginning, right? So mm -hmm. you get real feedback. But sure. this is an example of a system that I could have never envisioned until I had AI working, right? Ah, interesting. Yeah, uh, exactly. Yeah. yeah. Very interesting. Yeah. Um, so oftentimes, like, you solve one problem and then it gives you the tools to solve another problem, which is more difficult, which is a, which is a bigger problem, right? Mm -hmm. So, like, uh, uh, a really good example of that is debt. Um, mm -hmm. like we use debt to, um, to solve kind of the question of like, okay, you have to buy life support. Well, what happens if you don't have money for it? Right. Right. Like, okay. Well, we'll, we'll create this debt system. Okay. Now think about that whole reveal map mode, right? Mm -hmm. From the beginning, I had thought about like, you know, even when we had units, uh, movable units, it was like, what if there was a mode where you could like. Like in like in Sadhus of Catan, where you could kind of like bid on different, you could shoot, you know, take different starting locations. I mean, we're not mm -hmm. turn based, so it has to be simultaneous. So there has to be some sort of auction. But you know, I was also had a hard time figuring out how that would work, right? Like, okay, what if everyone started out with a lot of money and you would bid that money, but then whoever bid last would keep all their money, and then they'd be able to upgrade really quickly, and like everything would just get totally out of whack. You know, mm -hmm. you kind of you kind of still needed everyone to start with the same amount of stuff at the beginning of the game right right like there was just no way to make that work but then later on we got the debt system and then it was like oh wait if if the thing you bid at the beginning of the game is debt then it works perfectly because everyone does start at the same point right mm -hmm. debt doesn't affect what you could do at the beginning of the game right um it's just gonna maybe cause problems for you long term right um and but it's but it's a real thing. It's a thing that people care about. So they're not just going to found right away. Mm -hmm. um, and we couldn't have we couldn't have gotten there at the beginning when we didn't we didn't actually have the debt system in place. Right, right, right. Now it seems that there were there were there were a couple like key things that you get that just sort of solved these problems. Um, and I it, it doesn't it sounds like the eureka moment you had was with the uh, with subsidiaries. But when how about debt? I mean, did did that just you said oh well we'll just have people go into debt? Yeah. So originally. Um, we had kind of this hidden debt system mm -hmm. where like it basically every time you couldn't afford to pay for your food or oxygen or water or power, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. it would kind of like be a black mark against your stock price. Uh -huh. Um, and the, what you would see is players who were like not able to afford their own stuff. Their stocks would just kind of, the stock price would just start going down, 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 mm -hmm. down. Um, mm -hmm. so back then you'd see a lot more you know, death spirals, basically. Um, right. Someone get really cheap and then they get bought out and they'd be out of the game. And that led to people being very careful about making sure that they provided for themselves. They, mm -hmm. Everyone wanted to be self-sufficient. Um, and, you know, that's actually not great for what our high-level goal was for the game, which is that, you know, people should be able to try all sorts of different strategies with the game. Um you know, like if you want to focus on one resource and we want people to specialize, right? Right. We right. don't want this thing of like, okay, I got to build my farms. I got to get my reactors. I got to sure. get my solar, you know, it's like if mm -hmm. you can figure out a way to win without building any of those things, like, hey, that's awesome, right? Mm -hmm. Like that's that's right. the game we wanted to make. But when you had this kind of like hidden debt thing that was not transparent and that you couldn't affect, you know, it just, it just didn't, it didn't lead, it didn't allow that to happen. Mm -hmm. um, so... I, I don't remember how I originally thought of debt, but at some moment it just kind of popped in my head. I mean, I guess it's it's a somewhat obvious idea, I guess. But yeah. the, the important thing is that it was transparent, right? Mm -hmm. Like it showed 
you could see it accumulate and most importantly like you could pay it off if you wanted to right right, right. well let's talk about i want to talk about transparency then because um i mean the big thing i mean a game like this has i guess in any real-time strategy game uh, a huge component of that is the interface right and uh, i mean it's and it i think it's it's fantastic um the the question then becomes you know how did you get there because um uh you know game interface is a, is a whole sort of as i understand it i mean i'm not a developer but it seems to be whole, a whole sort of area of of study and and uh and research and um you have a game in which you have a ton of information mm-hmm. but you have to be very careful about you know how you present the information and what you just don't even need to to show the player and what you absolutely have to make sure that the player can see very clearly and, and at all times. How, how, how did your um, interface philosophy and, and development go? Yeah. So that's a, that was, that's been a long journey. Um, this is a game that has a really big interface challenge, right? Because there's a lot of numbers and the more you, more, the more you know about the game, kind of like the more numbers you want to see. Right. right. Um, and so we had to figure out a way to make the game. So first of all, it wouldn't scare away new players because if we scare people away, no one will ever actually play the game to begin with. Right. Um, but also a way that like once you start trying it out, like it helps you figure out how to become a better player. Mm-hmm. And then ultimately at the high level, you know, also gives people who really care about the game all the tools they need to succeed at it. Um, and uh, I think one of the interesting bits is kind of like on our on our task list there's always been like kind of like mini bat uh, sorry mini map slash strategic view on there somewhere and it just kind of kept getting pushed off and off mm-hmm. and off mm-hmm. <laughs> and like we never actually did it right mm-hmm. like we don't have a mini map right. um and uh, you could totally imagine how we would have one right but i think that the ui team just did such a great job of like giving you information about the map when you need it and when you ask for it Mm-hmm. Um, like one of the big, big, like step forwards, what were those, those colored lines that show up that yes. connect your HQ to like the important resources. Right. Um, because yeah, there's resources all over the map, but like, right. it's not that complicated. If you want to build aluminum mine, like mm-hmm. you probably want to either build the one that's closest to you or the best one, you know, that's, that's, you know, of all the high tile of all the high tiles, which one is closest to you? Right. Right. Like, right. Right. Like that's, you know, that's the best one. And then sometimes you might want to instead build on a low one that's a lot closer. So mm-hmm. we'll show you a line to that too. But, but basically right. there's probably two or three spots you're going to consider, you know, right. we don't have to like show you where all the aluminum is, is all over the map. Right. Right. Um, and then of course, you know, then you could just keep extending those lines, right? Like, okay, well, what if you selected a number of other person's headquarters and then it'll show you all the lines to all of their stuff. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, and, uh, okay. Let's say you want to, you want to do pirates. Like when you have pirates selected, well, let's show all the lines for things that are being shipped. Like we won't show lines for power, but we'll show for lines that are things that are being actively shipped. Right. Uh, and we won't show lines if someone has teleportation. Right. right. Um, okay. Let's say you select a core sample, right? So you want to, uh, you might look for water. It's going to draw a line to the, like the closest spot that is a high probability, probability of, of getting water. Right. Mm-hmm. So, you know, it was just like step by step using all those tools to like, you know, tell you what you need to know right. at the time. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, and yeah, I mean, it was uh, I think that part was really good. It took a long time to kind of get that that market interface to be exactly what we wanted it to be um, for 
uh, you know, like what was the most important stuff we like, were we going to show rates, um, on the far, you know, on the far left, it shows you basically what your plus minus is on that. Um, and you know, there's a lot of arguments going back and forth of what that should show. Like, in fact, at times that number lies to you. Um, and when it lies to you, it's because, uh, you, um, you, you might have a building that could work, but it doesn't have the necessary inputs, right? Hmm. So let's say you have a steel mill, yeah. and let's say you have an, uh, an iron, mill, iron mine, right? Mm -hmm. uh, but let's say you it's a low iron, so it's, it's, it's not producing enough iron to supply your steel mill, mm -hmm. right? So what you would see under the old system where it was telling you accurately all the rates, what you would see is, okay, plus one iron... Um, it would, I mean, it would always say plus one iron because the iron mine just keeps popping it out, right? And then, mm -hmm. uh, you know, an iron blimp would go up, it would fly to the head, to the, your HQ, drop off the iron, and then your steel mill would start working. So you'd see like, oh, right. 0.05 steel, I'm making steel. Right. But then right. as soon as the, um, as soon as the, oh, and actually, I, no, I, I'm wrong. Like the iron rate would change because when you're consuming iron at mm -hmm. the steel mill, you're going to show negative iron. Right. right. So what you right. would see is minus one iron plus 0 0.5 steel. Right. Mm -hmm. um, and then, um, but the problem is when the steel mill runs out of iron, it stops. Mm -hmm. And then now you see zero steel, but you mm -hmm. see like plus one or plus two iron. Right. Mm -hmm. Because now your iron mine is working, but you're not consuming any steel. Right. Um, now multiply that across all your different resources mm -hmm. and you know what you would often see is like all these these rates blinking back and forth as like they you know buildings came on or off right right and right. so we figured out is like okay what we actually need to show is we should um it's actually almost tricky enough that i'm like i have to take a second to remember exactly what we're showing because i think what we well, do sort of, is are we, you averaging it out over a, some arbitrary no. period of time no we don't average it out uh, what we do is like we basically show you the number as if your buildings were working, right? Hmm. So the iron rate will still be negative even if the steel mill is not working. Um, to I show see. to show you that like uh, you could you still need more iron even though your steel mill is not working right now because mm -hmm. the problem before was okay let's just say your steel mill is turned off. You look right. at your resources and you see positive iron. You're like, oh, I got plenty of iron. No problem. But you don't realize that the reason why it shows you that you have positive iron is that actually you, ha you don't have enough iron for your steel mills, right? Mm -hmm. So what we, what we did instead is like, okay, you, ha you should be consuming this much iron, so we're going to show you that number, right? Okay. But we're not going to show you the positive steel because that's like the end product. And we right. don't want like, to trick you about that. You should hmm. see like, oh, I'm not making steel. And then you're going to go investigate, figure, 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 try to figure out what went wrong. Mm -hmm. um, so, yeah, it's um, there's so much stuff with the UI to talk about. It's hard for me to know. <laughs> I feel like I'm just going to end up ping ponging all around the screen right. to all the different well, elements. Well, what was the I mean, what was that you had? A, you had sort of had a guiding sort of philosophy about how you're going to do the AI. I, I remember that there was a, a point where um, uh, when I played one of the old versions, I kind of felt like. You know, I think I even wrote about it where I felt a little bit disconnected from the map because mm -hmm. I could play the game in the AI. Uh, sorry, in the AI. I could play the game in the uh, UI. Right. 
And, you know, it's sort of like, well, you know, it's great that there's this Mars thing here, but, yeah. but look at this number go up and this, look at this number go down. Um, did you guys ever have to back off of your, of your UI to sort of integrate that with, uh, with the map or, or, or keep people from getting, you know, just sort of playing an Excel spreadsheet? What, what, how did you, how did you go about uh, dealing with that? Um, yeah, uh, hard for me to remember exactly what state the game was in at that point, but, um, like for sure, we kind of wanted this concept of like you could see the same information, you know, on the chart as you could see on in the game world, right? Mm-hmm. So you see us, you see a farm working, and you're going to see little little uh, bits, little apples pop up over it, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And they'll pop up faster depending on how fast or slow that the, you know, the farm is working, right? Right. And beyond that, like if you um, if you mouse over, like a very very important part of the game is when you mouse over a building. You get that big pop up that tells you you know, kind of what's going on inside and you have that net revenue value, mm-hmm. which is like telling you like, yo, you OK, OK, you've got a great you've got a steel mill, but the steel mill is actually losing money because iron is eighty dollars and, you know, steel is fifty dollars. Right. So, mm-hmm. you know, you're basically throwing away your money by by letting the steel mill work. Right. And right. Um, so you can you know, you can actually look at the you know mouse over each building to kind of figure out like you know, what's, what's good and what's not. And there's kind of like no way to get that from the, the big interface on the left side of the screen. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, I think it's just, it's just a, a lot of different things. I mean, our, our, we always wanted you to care about the map. So, you know, a lot of that was just like, we needed the art to come alive. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that the terrain now looks just remarkable. It looks, it looks way better than I ever envisioned it could. Yeah. Um, and uh, like, it looks like that concept art we had, like at the very beginning of the project. Right. Um, right. which is always is great to see come together. So, um, I mean, to me, part of it is just the map is interesting to look at. And then also like, we've just worked really hard to like, give you, give you the game's context, context about what you're interested about on the map when you ask for it. So, yeah. So, I mean, it's interesting that, uh, you talk about how, uh, you know, the, the art made the game come alive. Um, I gotta say, you know, I got this game when was, uh, when, when, when I first saw the beta and I thought, wow, this is really nice. I wonder when this, you know, are they releasing this tomorrow? <laughs> um, it, it, it just, it, it, it's, it, you have yet you had, I mean, you just came out. I feel like you've been playing this game forever. What was, what was the thought behind having, you know, releasing the game in early access and then basically having it go on for what, a year and a half? Uh, yeah, uh, fifteen months basically. Fi- yeah, I mean, you, you I, I, because I have to say, when it came out, it was already seemed so polished. It was like a, it was like a game that uh, that I was going to buy, and I, I actually didn't see it for a while after um, mm-hmm. after a certain point. I I kind of um, uh, just didn't didn't follow uh, until release, and then I I opened the you know started the release version. I was like, wow, this is even better than I thought yeah. that it could look. Um, so you're right. I mean, that art did really, did really, um, you know, come alive in a way that I hadn't even envisioned it could before. Mm-hmm. But what's the what was the philosophy behind having all that be out in the open and having you know? Yeah. Because does that does that hurt you in in terms of your ability to uh, you know? Because now you're saying you know, oh, we're releasing the game, and people are like, no, no, you released it like a year and a half ago. What, what yeah. are you talking about? Yeah. So this is a big issue, um, and it's interesting from my point of view as a developer, because we definitely did things differently because we knew we were going out on early access. Mm -hmm. Um, Like with Civ 4, 
we basically did something similar. We just did it in private. Like we had a group of players, uh, sort of dedicated people from the Civ 3 community that were playing the game like 18 months before we shipped it, mm -hmm. right? But when they saw the game, they absolutely would. When they saw when they first saw the game 18 months before shipped, in no way would they have told you like, oh, I, I could go buy this game. It looks right. like it's done, right? Mm -hmm. Like we did, we took no effort to make the game look better for them at that yes. point mm -hmm. um, and it helps because it's turn-based obviously like turn-based games can look pretty bad and still be fun um but yeah. uh yeah so we we didn't take any effort to make you know civ 4 look good when we gave it to them but that's because we weren't selling it to them right like right. these are people that we just recruited and said hey we'll give you you know want to want to try out civ 4 early and you know most of them were like yeah that sounds amazing you know like, let's let's do it um whereas this was an actual commercial en endeavor right mm -hmm. and my my hope was that early access could be this thing where like, oh, the game looks janky, but like it's early access, right? Like that's right. cool, right? But right. that's that's not really how people are approaching it, um, right. especially when it's on Steam. A lot of developers are selling games early on their own sites, and I think then the bar is a lot lower for what people expect. Um, and you had that, didn't you? Yes, didn't yes, you, we did. did yeah. yeah. Um, and yeah, exactly. That's exactly right. So those people, and that's when you first, and actually you played it during that period. Mm. Um, you played it probably, I think, four months before we went up on early access. Yes, um, yes, I did. That's true. And uh, so there were parts that were polished, and there were definitely parts that were not at that point. Mm -hmm. um, right. And um, but yeah, I think like real early on, when the very first people played it at that point, like the the train were like literally just like these these blocky hexagons, right? With yeah, like right. just like okay, this color means that train, and this color means that train. That's it, right? Right. 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 Um, and uh, uh, yeah, so we sold it privately on our site, but but we do to kind of like a, a compromise with marketing. We actually didn't release any screenshots of the game at all. Instead, mm -hmm. we're like, hey, this is our game. This is our concept. You know, want to buy it? <laughs> Which is not a very common thing to do. Um, and uh, it worked out all right. But like, you know, if you're not actually showing a game, it's kind of impossible to get people to buy it. Uh, I mean, we had like a maybe like a thousand people in that group, so it, which was a reasonable number, but like we just needed a lot more feedback. So, you know, that's why we went to early access. Um, and first of all, I mean, I, I should say before we even get to any of this, I mean, I just I'm a really big believer in like trying to make games with trying to maximize the feedback you get while you're developing a game. You know, I think that there's so much waste in the games industry where you're you're building a game and you don't know what you need to know about the game while you're making it because you're just making it in a vacuum and you're not hearing right. from real people like right. the, the game teams themselves. They, they, they can't see their own games fairly. Right. Mm -hmm. So you have to get that feedback from outside people. And, um, you know, early access is this incredible way to do that. So, like, for sure, I wanted to do early access. I knew that that was the way to make the game the best it could possibly be. Mm -hmm. So then we had to figure out how to do it. And so it meant that we had kind of like a little sort of mini, mini, mini crunch there, I guess you'd say, where, uh, you know, for a month or so, like in January, February of last year, we we're like, OK, look, we need to get the game to at least a level where there's nothing in it that looks just like horrendous. Right. right. Like everything is is, you know, is basically functional and um you know looking reasonable and that's kind of like that version that came out where yeah a lot of people have that impression of like oh hey this looks like a game that that you could buy and it it's it's just because we took that one pass on it to mm -hmm. make sure nothing really stood out and there's parts of me that kind of wished that we had left some bits in that were obviously unfinished mm. right 
just mm-hmm. so people could tell that like no this is an unfinished game it's going to look completely different by the time we finish it like right. it's really interesting to go back and watch the videos from a year and a half ago mm-hmm. now to see like w- what the game looked like back then um it's uh because yeah like when you when you take that big of a jump yeah it looks it looks completely different right right um and yeah uh, it, was a, it was a slow sort of the slow iteration it and it, it it's a slow public iteration sort yep. of sort of tamp that down right yeah and it's tough it's it's the you know it's the boiling the frog metaphor right like yep, yep, yep. you know it's hard to you know even though you're having a big release every month people aren't necessarily noticing these these big big changes right um so yeah we've been very anxious about like what would happen on release like would people actually care about it or not mm-hmm. um because there definitely have been some games that come out of early access and kind of nothing really happened right um and uh so far for us it's been very positive mm-hmm. uh, we've actually been selling at a rate higher than we sold when we first launched it Wow! Um, great. Yeah, and uh, yeah. and people Have you seen seem to really... marching up the steam, uh, the steam, the steam uh, top ten. Yeah, yeah, we've been in yeah. uh, the top ten. Uh, I think we had a, we were at number four at one point, which is great. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, so that part, I was very anxious about that part, but that part seems to have worked out well. That's um, great. I mean, the hard part about early access is like, you know, it's like you're 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 releasing every month basically, um, right. and that's 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 hard on the team. Uh, like we we actually we went through a QA process each time we released, um, and uh, you know which means that there's bugs and you have to you have to fix things for short term reasons when you should be working on things for long term reasons. Right, and that makes it hard. So you know it's hard to just keep remembering in the balance. Like okay, overall this is positive for the project, even though I feel like I'm wasting a little bit of my time right here. Yeah, yeah. Um, because you can't you've forgotten like what it would be like if we had just, if we were just building this game completely in a vacuum. Yeah. Right. That would be yeah. just like a completely different experience. Yeah. Um, so yeah, that's, that would be interesting. I, I feel like if I were to do it again, I would kind of like be more hardcore about like, like we are not, we are not going to do big updates. We are not going to do QA. <laughs> like, and and by this i mean like during that 15 month project of, right, of early access right. like we're gonna have like some sort of automated thing like every monday morning it just automatically builds the game and like just automatically updates steam and uh-huh. that's there and if there's something wrong if the if there happens to be something wrong with that version like mm-hmm. we'll, we'll go in and fix that one or two thing that right. that those one or two things that might be wrong with it and, mm-hmm. you know and then just do another update um like before we were on early access like we didn't have this whole QA problem. Like we literally just pushed stuff out whenever we wanted to, right? Um, because people were very forgiving of like whether there be any issues, and if there were there was a problem, usually it, usually if they found the problem, like we had already seen it as well. So usually it was already fixed. We just needed to make a build and push it to Steam, and right, and that was it. So, hmm. so any any uh, any surprises about you know sort of specific reactions uh, um, from the release? Yeah, I mean, we we talked a little bit about the reveal map thing. That was that's yeah. the, the thing I usually talk about because right. uh, I thought scanning was fine. I mean, that's the way we did it in multiplayer. Some of the yeah. people at the office when we play multiplayer, they still play with scanning. Like uh-huh. they think it's fine. I, I think for yeah. casual players, scanning is yeah. fine in multiplayer uh-huh. right. um, because they're they're not necessarily good enough at the game that they could necessarily like right recognize like the ideal spots anyway. So oh yeah, I definitely can't. I'm like, oh, what the heck? Yeah, yeah I think we had a uh, I had a kind of. Um, amusing uh go at it with uh tom chick uh mm-hmm. recently i think you posted that uh we should have probably just cooperated against the ai yeah, <laughs> yeah it's pro- probably a good idea there probably uh, but uh, oh uh, so tell me about uh what as, as far as uh sort of uh first reactions tell me about your re- first reaction to christopher tin's soundtrack um 
Yeah. So, well, first of all, what what people first think of is probably that opening track uh, mm-hmm. to the game, which is you know, uh-huh. beautiful. But yeah. that was actually the last thing to get in. Yeah. Um, and um, so that's that. The the other stuff we kind of started more worrying about the in game music because that was something that we knew we were going to want to iterate on more and also mm-hmm. kind of like try to figure out a way to tie it to the game. Okay. Um, and I'm not sure how much you even necessarily notice notice this, but there's basically there's six different pieces of music and it randomly picks one of them each game. Hmm. Okay. Right? I didn't notice that. Yeah. And uh, it's kind of in that sweet spot of like. If it was just one piece of music, you'd be like, okay, I'm kind of getting tired of hearing this, right? Mm-hmm, but mm-hmm. there aren't so many that it feels like you're, you know, you're, you get familiar with certain themes. You're like, oh, yeah, I like this piece, right? I've heard yep. it before, right? Yeah. Um, so it's about 16 pieces of music. They're probably about 12 to 15 minutes long each, but they're, they're cut up into different segments. Mm-hmm. So there's basically like there's a little looping segment that plays when you're scanning or, you know, deciding where to found. Uh-huh. Um, and then there's like a, and then as soon as you found, there's like a little canned piece of music that plays that's, you know, maybe five or 10 seconds long. Mm-hmm. And then it does a loop at level one. And then when you upgrade to level two, it does another kind of 10 second segment and then it loops mm-hmm. for a couple minutes mm-hmm. and it does that each time through. Right. So basically there's a specific loop for each level, you know, HQ level one, two, three, four, five. Um, and Generally speaking, the pieces get kind of more complex and ch- and um, and uh, I would say um, the instrument instrumentation gets more comp- more more complicated mm-hmm. as you as you go up. And oftentimes, I think a lot of the pieces we we start out with like something fairly simple, like just a piano piece at level one, where it becomes mm-hmm. more of a synthesizer thing by mm-hmm. the time you get to level four or five. Mm-hmm. Um, so it moves from something that feels more organic to something that feels more electronic by the end. Mm-hmm. Um, which we've, you know, seems to tend to work pretty well. Um, is that but, stuff you guys discussed? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. He and I talked about these things and he actually came out to, to Mohawk, uh, for about a week in February, mm-hmm. I think to really kind of like nail down the stuff where he had okay. a lot of the pieces kind of like, uh, roughed out, but he hadn't mm-hmm. done like a stringer or he didn't, hadn't done like the actual live recording yet. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, we kind of worked through the system and, you know, is, is, do we need longer pieces at level five? And like, uh, you know, I like how this sounds, but I don't like how that sounds. Right. Um, so we did a lot back and forth on that. And, uh, and yeah, I think it worked out really well once we got the system going. And I think a lot of people are kind of like, they're not aware, uh, they're not sort of intellectually aware of what's going on with the, the music and its progression, mm-hmm. but I think it works very well. Um, yeah that works great yeah and which is the important thing and then the the title track uh there were a lot of different title tracks that came down the pipe from chris yeah they they sounded different or they were they similar yeah some were yeah they they sounded very different some were more Mm -hmm. more more uh techno Mm uh some were um i think he was he was having a hard time and part of this was that um I mean, the last time we worked together, he basically wrote two pieces. One of them was the title track for Civ Four, mm-hmm. you know, and that title track ended up winning two Grammys and becoming yeah. like right. a piece of music that's popular all around the world, right? Right, right. Um, and like, he, I think he had a little bit of like writer's block of like, how do I live up to that? I'm making, right. you know, I'm writing the new title. I'm, I'm writing another title piece of music for one of Soren's games. Yeah. Um, and. Uh, and but also beyond that, the pieces that he had written for um for the in-game music, 
they're you know it's it's background music right mm-hmm. like it's not it's not it's not so melodic that you would necessarily hum it right like it's not right. meant to be a song it's sure, meant to like create a certain feeling while you're play- playing the game mm-hmm. right um so i mean they're good pieces they stand on their own but they're they're not it's not it's not that sort of like melodic melodic thing that makes you know baba yetu work so well right? right um and so i think a lot of the he was having a hard time getting out of that frame of mind so mm-hmm. he he made a lot of tile tracks that um that were you know very inter- interesting in terms of like how uh, the timbre, you know, how they sounded, what instruments you were using, but they weren't, mm-hmm. it, they just didn't, you know, it's like, you just couldn't hum it. Right. Right. <laughs> and, but well, we weren't, we weren't necessarily trying to do that. And I, I right. don't think, I don't think we had talked about it like that, but that at some point he, he just, he just thought to himself, like, I just need to write a good melody. Right. I need mm-hmm. to like throw everything else away and yeah. just like write a nice melody. Right. And so, and then he did that. And like, yeah. it was, it was, maybe three or four weeks before we shipped the game, he, he finally sent me something over that, you know, I, I played it. I heard him basically playing those two, the, the, the melody on the piano. And it was like, Oh, this is great. And mm-hmm. then we did just a bunch of iterations of like making it better and better and better okay. and better. Like getting the idea of like, okay, the first time you hear the main melody, um, it should be, um, it should be on a piano. And then the second, when it comes back, like let's, let's put it on a synthesizer, mm-hmm. you know, which like gets that, again, that, that transition of going from something organic to something that's uh, electronic. Right. So you guys work together on that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, okay, he, you know, I, I just gave him some feedback. He, right, right. You know, he's the, he's the composer. Yeah. Right. Um, I understand. But no, I, I get it. But you, yeah. you, you, you said, yeah, this is how this, I like the way this is going. I don't like the way this is going. Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. And, um, uh, although also there was another kind of high level thing that even at the very, very beginning, when we first started talk, working together, we got into this tile track that uh, we, you know, we both thought was really important, which we wanted this sense of, what's the right way to put it, of mm, noise, I guess, like mm-hmm. static, ambient sounds. Like mm-hmm. if you listen closely to the title track, he's left yeah. in... The, the 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 first minute of the tile track he's left in the sounds of like the hammers hitting the strings mm. like you can hear the melody of the piano but you can also hear like the actual percussive elements of the okay. piano itself mm-hmm. right um and like i that was a feeling we wanted to get right at the very beginning like from from the very beginning like we want mm-hmm. that to be part of the the uh, of the title piece i just i, I like that feeling of Okay, I'm listening to something beautiful, but I'm also made aware of like the thing that is making me the music, right? Mm-hmm. That yeah. that it's a real object that I'm that has created this music, and it it has pieces to it. Parts of it are metal, parts of it are wood. They're interacting all these different ways, and I felt that was important for um, a game like Offworld, you know, mm-hmm. which is about going to this alien planet and like, you know. Um, you know, making it work for you and, and, you know, working with machinery and working with right. life and, and all that right. stuff. Yeah. Well, it's very interesting because, I mean, it's a, it's a totally different uh, philosophy for most, you know, real-time strategy music. I mean, you, say, you talked about that, you know, they're not songs. Um, you know, I can still think back to, I, I can still hum some of the Command and Conquer songs. You know, I'm a mechanical man, like whatever, the, the, <laughs> you know, over and over. Sure. Um, so it's, yeah, it's a different, it's just a different, uh, but it, I mean, it's, it's wonderful. I really, I really uh, think yeah. that he hit a home run with that one as well. Yeah. I mean, that I, I should say that, I mean, I, I have a little bit of that philosophy in general with games music that came from when I was like trying to 
basically pick tracks for Civ 4 mm-hmm. um, because Civ 4 I use kind of different slices of musical history for each of the different eras mm-hmm. um, and as I was like picking pieces what I discovered was that like like first and last movements of, of symphonies did not mm-hmm. work very well at all because uh-huh. you know they've got climaxes and they've right. got melodic progression and they've yep. got all this stuff that makes you want to listen to them and not play sure. the game right 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 so I ended up using instead a lot of like dances and a lot of middle movements. And uh-huh. like that's, uh-huh. that's, you know, kind of what, what you hear most of the time and so forth. Interesting. Yeah. You don't want the music to, to, well, I guess you can, you can integrate it in some way, but yeah, you don't want to detract from the game. Um, anything else that I haven't, uh, have I, is there something that, uh, I haven't brought out that you might think would be interesting for the listeners? Um, I mean, that seems, seems pretty good. I mean, I, I'd be interested to hear, like, I guess, you know, what, what you think of the game and, like, your your experience with it. Oh, I mean, my experience is, I mean, I, 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 really, I really appreciate how it gives you this. And I don't think I really understood because I think that when I first started playing it, um, I was really focused on this, uh, this idea of progression and sort of verticality, and because mm-hmm. I, you know, even though you give somebody the the opportunity to play a game which which sort of uh, can be played in this radically different way, it, the the player doesn't necessarily think that is the way you're supposed to do it, right? So mm-hmm. I still remember, like I'd say, okay, okay, I've got to find aluminum and iron, and then I make a steel mill, and then and there was, there was only some point where I thought, wait a minute. I don't need to buy any of those things. Oh, that's a great. Oh, that's a great question. I was going to ask. Do, there are no um, building dependencies. That was right. that a that was that that clearly is part of the concept from the beginning, right? Because if you're going to play a if you're going to play an economic game with a market, um, you shouldn't force players into uh, you know into fixed sort yeah. of you know I have to build this in order to build this because then you sort of force them into a into a uh, into a resource dependency. Was that was that a, a clear design goal? Yeah, that was. I mean, I don't think we ever really considered it another way. Um, mm-hmm. And uh, what you're describing is actually a fairly typical pattern for a lot of players, where mm-hmm. they're very used to like, okay, I need to get my, I need to get my hundred bricks, and then I gotta right. get my mm-hmm. fifty wood, and yep. like I gotta check all yep. the boxes, and right. I'm gonna do it myself, and like, um, yeah, it's like it's 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 that's the like the one moment of realization that kind of like everyone gets an off world at some moment. They're like, oh, yep. I can just. I can just sell all this stuff and like, right. you know, like that's, that's fine. And we did a lot. We sat down a number of people with, sat a number of people down to play the tutorials or just to play the game in like a, an easy version, just to see how they would do, how they would, mm-hmm. would try out the game. And what we, we saw over and over again is like, we're like, okay, you need to get 20 glass and, you know, and like they would just be waiting. So, you know, they would just be patiently trying to figure mm-hmm. all the ways to get the glass furnace. Well, at the same yeah. time, they're sitting on like 200 food and food selling for like $100, you know, right, and like, right, right. and like, and oftentimes we would even tell them like, you know, you could, you can actually just, you can actually just buy it on the market. And like people like, no, no, I'm going to do it. I'm doing it the old fashioned way, you know? Like, <laughs> right. Like there's some moral, uh, yeah. moral advantage to it. Yeah. So you yeah. Did it yourself. Like in the script of tutorials, we basically have to like take your hand and be like, okay, the only way you're be able to get this, you, the only way you're be able to, like, we don't. I think at one point you have to upgrade, and we don't let you build glass kilns. Mm-hmm. So, like, you, you literally like the only way to get the glass to, to upgrade is you have to like buy it directly right. from the market. So, mm-hmm. it's like we force you to try to like get that 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 realization before yeah. you know. Well, if you play the tutorial, then I guess I mean it's it's uh, it's a much. I, I mean, I, I internalized this whole thing. You know, when we first played it. 
um, it just didn't, you know, really dawn on me. And I was thinking, well, I don't, you know, as Soren's kind of a kind of a jerk here because he's as he takes down my claims, the number of claims as I as I increase my, um, you know, the the AI setting or uh, you know increase the difficulty setting, I can't actually build all these buildings. Well, you know, this is this game's broken. I can't do this. And then you know, this, then you suddenly think, okay, wait a minute. Okay, how yeah. can I? How, as you as you realize you're going to have to get around things that's mm-hmm. the point where you think oh well i don't need to get around it that's actually part of the whole game design that i just can pick and choose what i'm buying and selling um the, the other thing that i i remember having this discussion uh with uh, i think it would have been with troy and and, and rob and julian uh, and tom was you know what's that thing in the middle what are those guys because there were because th- there were at one point there were these floating things with little flags and uh, I was wondering, you know, what's that thing? Well, you know, is that is that like the United Nations? Mm-hmm. And then we realized it was the colony mm-hmm. that you know we were supplying, but it yep. wasn't, uh, you know, it wasn't it wasn't made expl- I don't know. It just it was funny because we were trying to we're sort of trying to 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 rationalize this whole game that uh, that you know was obviously doing a lot of different things. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I, but, I re- go ahead. Yeah, the colony is tricky because it was it was like for a long time there wasn't that neutral colony and mm-hmm. like people from the team were like you know you, you just you, we feel like the map needs something like it's mm-hmm. kind of weird that you're you just you have all these companies there and who are yep. they selling to right they're right, just selling right. to each other that seems right. weird so right. we put the colony right. there but it, it took a long time to find a reason to get people to pay attention to it right right yeah it, it showed up one time in one build and i was yep. like what, you know what what are those robots it's like some weird sort of like <laughs> ceremony going on in there yeah why yep. are they carrying flags it was just it was it was funny um, but I really do. I think I think of if, if my ultimate sort of uh, overarching reaction to the game is that I really appreciate a, uh, a strategy game. And, and you had mentioned this, uh, you know, many times. So I didn't I didn't feel we needed to rehash it here. But the idea that um, you can just take all the all the micro out of a real time strategy game and mm-hmm. make a macro game. And, and I feel that as I get older, I mean, that's that's kind of what I'm better at. I, can't, I just can't click fast anymore. Sure. Um, yeah. But I can sort of conceptualize a strategy and I can sort of take it into uh you know, I, I can develop it and, and adjust it and, and without having to constantly think, okay, well, those, those three guys that I sent around the left and like, let's, let's lasso them and send them in here. And yep. um, yeah, it's, it's much more a game that, that I, you know, I want to play and, and I happen to be interested, you know, I really like economics and economic games. So, um, so it all comes together, but just, yep. just the, the, the rubric of um, let's find a game that's real time, but that has a sort of a, a you know, a macro, um, it's a macro contest, and whose macro is better um, yep. is is really. I, I enjoy that a lot. Yeah, cool. So yeah, I mean, there. What you described is the reason why a lot of people play turn based games, right? Right, of course. Um, and but there are also there's big advantages to a game working in real time, right? Mm-hmm, like mm-hmm. you can multiplayer actually works, right? Mm-hmm, it's not right. like this theoretical thing that is you know this giant pain. Right. Um, right. And so. You know, can you is is the is the problem real time or is the problem like asking people to, you know, manage 100 units at the same time? Right. right like, right. You know, so, yeah, I think there's a lot more that can be done with real time games for sure. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, I'm waiting for you to, to show us what that is. <laughs> <laughs> All, right. All right. Well, enjoy the enjoy the success of, uh, of off world. Sounds like it's doing well and, and it's certainly successful from a. Uh, from an enjoyment standpoint, at least for my and for all people I've talked to. So, and thanks for talking. Cool. Thanks. Thanks for doing this, Bruce. All right. Take it easy.